Well, good morning to you. Let me be another, uh, another face to say welcome uh, to you for whatever reason you find yourself here. It's an honor that you'd spend uh, some of your Easter with us. Uh, as Rachel mentioned, my name is Matt Lulloyan. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor uh, of Liberty Church. Just a couple things to, to celebrate uh, specifically today beyond the overarching celebration of Jesus' resurrection. Um, yesterday, we were able to send a bunch of people uh, among, among you, a bunch of you, into the neighborhoods, the, the streets right around this building, uh, just to bless and serve our neighbors in this new facility. We gave out uh, letters uh, letting people know that we were here uh, as a church, wanting to, um, to let them know that we wanted to bless and serve uh, the people of this region. Uh, we gave them a gift of hot cross buns just as a gesture of, of friendship. Um, and so that went really well. Um, we were able to at least connect with some people. We also found out that at 9 a.m. on Saturdays, a lot of people either are not home or pretend they're not home. Uh, we learned that one way or the other. Um, there was a, one particular woman uh, from the neighborhood posted something on our social media page just this morning um, saying that she's not a, she's not a, a church-going person, but that the gesture meant a lot to her, particularly in our day of divided peoples, that it, she, she really felt uh, a great appreciation for that gesture. Uh, and so, of course, we long for people to come to know Jesus as we have come to, to know Jesus, but those kinds of gestures of care and compassion for our region are exactly what we hope happens uh, through things like that. Uh, and then on Thursday night, we were able to give out almost 100 uh, gift cards to Giant to our to guests from New Hope Ministries that we've had the privilege of working with over these past three or four years. Uh, and as I interacted with a lot of them Thursday night, many said something to the, to the degree of how much they appreciate us as a church, uh, those of you who serve at the food pantry there Thursday nights, uh, and then this additional gesture of, of care, giving them a gift card to, um, to celebrate Easter with their families, with their friends. Uh, so thanks to all of you for that. We want to be a church uh, that worships Jesus not only with our heads and hearts, uh, but also with our hands. Uh, and so it's just a great opportunity to do that uh, this past weekend. Also, uh, if you had the chance to come into this space on Friday, uh, we had a lot of stations set up for contemplative and reflective worship here in the building. Um, Alethea Malat did a ton to pull that together. So she actually, is she in here right now or is she in the back? She's in the back in nursery. But if you see Alethea, tell her thank you. Uh, it was a great, I, I had the chance to come and sit uh, and go through those stations myself. It was a great uh, time to just pause in the midst of busyness of life uh, and really contemplate the death of, of Jesus. Um, so I would encourage you as we have opportunities like that in the future to, um, to make time and come do that as well. If you have Bibles, you can go ahead and make your way to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 6. If you're using one of the, the black hardcover Bibles that are in those uh, trays underneath the seats in front of you, page 942 uh, is where you will find Romans chapter 6. You've heard it said already this morning, it's worth repeating, without the resurrection... There is no Christianity and there are no Christians. It is this one event in a unique way, the Apostle Paul says, without which our faith is futile. And he says Christians should be pitied more than anyone if this is not true. I don't presume to think that, that all of us in the room this morning believe that or believe in the resurrection. So when we've said, as, as others have said, and I will say again, when we say welcome to all of you, we truly mean welcome to all of you. We mean uh, welcome to you who find your hope in the resurrection of Jesus and are here to proclaim that together. We also mean welcome to you who, who don't, and maybe you're here because that, that makes your family feel good uh, when you come with them, uh, or maybe you're here because it's part of your tradition, you just go to church on Easter. Uh, maybe you're here because you 
are going through something in your life that's causing you to, to look for meaning and purpose. Uh, whatever reason it is, whether it's one I just mentioned or something totally different, uh, we're really grateful that you're with us this morning. And I'm sure that whatever it is, you also have company among other people in this room. And whether or not you have company among other people in this room, you definitely have company among the great minds and thinkers of this and every age. So, for example, in the late 19th century, uh, the great Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy had this to say. He, he was going through his own crisis, kind of midlife crisis, and he reflected on it some years later, and he, later and he said this. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man. A question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Apart from a faith like Christianity, which says that life derives its meaning and its purpose from God, our options are really to succumb to meaninglessness or to create some kind of meaning for ourselves. And Tolstoy, as he reflected on his life, remembered this time when he almost succumbed to that meaninglessness. Others, and maybe this describes your life or, or someone that you know and care about deeply, others try to create meaning, either by seeking the benefit of humanity or the benefit of the world or, or putting themselves behind some cause, or seeking to create meaning in a hedonistic way. All right, pleasure, pursuing pleasure and whatever feels good in that moment. The Apostle Paul actually concedes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection didn't happen, you should live that way. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Party it up because your life is short and it'll be over soon. But this question of meaninglessness is one that truly all of us must face. Many Christians struggle with this question of meaninglessness too. And perhaps that sounds odd to you because Christianity proposes that our lives have meaning as they are caught up into this great redemptive work of God and the story of God. And scripture teaches us, as we're remembering and celebrating today, that we have been rescued from death through Jesus' own death and resurrection. And all of that is absolutely true. But what I want to submit to you this morning, and then we'll look at it together, is, is this. That there can be, and there often is, a massive difference between escaping death and truly living. There's a massive difference between escaping death and truly living living. Many become Christians because they fear death, and that's understandable. Tongue-in-cheek, and maybe you've heard this or maybe you've even said this yourself, many people refer to salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card. Have you heard that before? Salvation is a get-out-of-hell-free card, and hell is, is eternal separation, right? It's eternal death, and so there's truth to that. Salvation means we need not experience this second death and be separated from God in our sin, but it's one thing to fear God's punishment, and to seek to escape death. It is another thing entirely to desire and to pursue real life. So the question for each of us this morning, do you really want life? Do you really want to live? Or are you content to simply avoid death? Because whether you're a Christian or not this morning, 
if you are merely seeking to avoid death, you are missing the real meaning and the purpose and the joy, the real life that is held out to you, that is offered to you in the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself says in John chapter 10 that he has come that we might have life, but that we might have life abundantly. We might have life to the full. If, as we considered on Friday night when we celebrated Good Friday together, if sin is death, then salvation is life. But how often, how often is is that what others perceive when they think about Christianity and, and the followers of Jesus? How often is real life and joy and abundance what people associate with Christianity and the followers of Jesus? Think about the language that we might use in casual conversation. If you or I were to say to somebody else, uh, live it up, hey, live it up, how often would somebody associate that or, or translate that in their mind to mean, follow Jesus, live in light of his life, right? Never, nobody talks that way. Nobody talks that way. Why not? Because we really have inverted this. We really have it backward, right? We, in the West, in the 21st century, in central Pennsylvania, in the Harrisburg region, We have no idea what it really means to live. Culturally speaking, we think that life means something like giving full and unrestrained expression to any and all of our feelings and our desires. Do do whatever you want with your time. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever you want with your wallet. Do whatever you want with your body. Just follow your intuition. Follow your, your heart. But what we often call living are things that Jesus himself associates not with life, but with death. And so the questions for us to to grapple with this morning are not just about the historical reliability of the resurrection. Like, did this event happen, in which case that changes everything? Or did this event not happen, in which case, yeah, you can give whatever meaning to your life you want. It's not just about the historical reliability of the resurrection. It's about whose definition of life will you trust? Will we trust our own definition of life? Will we follow our own emotions and our own endorphins? Or will we trust the prevailing opinions of our day? Or will we trust the one who has himself passed through death and into life? The one who, as we've sung about today, once for all shattered the power of death and claims to hold out this offer of abundant whole life with meaning and purpose to all who would believe. If he is the one, through, through his own death and resurrection, that makes our death to sin and our new life possible, then shouldn't that also mean that he has the right to define and to shape what real life is? And these are the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul writes about in his letter to the Romans. So we'll dive into just a small portion of that letter today in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along with me, and I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. God of life, truly of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and the writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. So we ask that you would send your spirit now to give us deeper insight and encouragement and faith and hope through this proclamation of the good news of this Easter Sunday. We pray this in your name. Amen. Two things uh, that we will look at from this text in Romans 6. A resurrection reality and a resurrection response. A resurrection reality and a resurrection response. So first, let's talk about the resurrection reality, specifically of union with Christ. This is the last week in this sermon series that we've been in for, for the season of Lent. And up to this point in this series about sin and salvation, we've actually talked very little about union with Christ. But really, to be united with Christ, to be in Christ, is what salvation is all about. So much so that we can't even really call union with Christ another picture of salvation. Instead, it's more like this common thread through this beautiful tapestry of all these other pictures. And union with Christ shows up in some of the pictures that we've even talked about over these past few weeks. So like in regeneration, which we talked about all the way at the beginning of this series, our union with Christ begins when God gives us a new heart. And Ephesians 2 says that we are made alive with Christ, united with Christ. In justification, it's our union with Christ that removes our unrighteousness and imparts Jesus' righteousness to us. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that Jesus became sin so that in him, united with him, we might become the righteousness of God. And it shows us that this great exchange whereby Jesus takes our unrighteousness on himself and we get his righteousness instead, that's not some kind of impersonal business transaction. That's part of our being united with him. In sanctification, the process of becoming holy and Christ-like, it's our union with Christ that enables us and empowers us to become more and more like him. In John chapter 15, Jesus says that whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. So our union with Christ, him abiding in us and us abiding in him, that's what prunes us, that's what chops off the, the dead, sinful parts of us, and it's what brings newness of life. Now here in Romans 6, Paul picks up this thread of union with Christ as he talks about the salvation picture of death and life. 
We are united with Jesus in his death, Paul says, and we are united with Jesus in his resurrection. So the reality of our salvation means that when Christ died, so did we. Right? We died to sin. That, that body of sin, the old self, was brought to nothing. And that in Christ's resurrection, what we're celebrating today, we are spiritually resurrected to life with him, to life in him. It also means, as, as Paul says and alludes to here, we have certainty of our own physical resurrection. That one day we will experience not only a spiritual resurrection, but a physical bodily resurrection as Jesus did. Tolstoy's question, our question, right? Is there any meaning in my life that my inevitable death does not destroy? Well, if there is certainty about our resurrection, both spiritual in this life and bodily physical resurrection in the life to come, then you'd better believe there's meaning to what we do and what we think and what we say and how we interact in this life. In another of his letters, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks more about this physical bodily resurrection. And likewise, he says there, it is in Christ, united with Christ, that we will be made alive. And so here is the big idea in this. If sin, I don't know where I just lost my place there, I apologize. It's a big idea, so I really got to get it right, right? The big idea is this, if sin is death, then salvation means death itself dies and there is life both now and life forever. If sin is death, then salvation is life both now and forever. You maybe heard this as we read it a few moments ago. In verses three and four, Paul says, baptism is this outward expression of our union with Christ. We were buried with Jesus in baptism. We were raised to newness of life. The more that we really lean into this thread of union with Christ and how foundational that is to our understanding of salvation, the more we will appreciate these sacraments of baptism and communion. Uh, it's why we speak about baptism and communion not only as a public profession of our faith, though it is, not only as a remembrance of what Jesus has done, though it is, but what's more, baptism and communion are unique. They are these special ways in which we participate in this union with Christ. They are a means of, of God's grace. They are a unique experience in which we not only perceive the death and resurrection of Jesus, but we perceive our union with him and we experience being united with him in those practices. So this is the reality of the resurrection, life in Jesus, union with Christ. And if that's the reality of the resurrection, now let's spend the rest of our time talking about our response to the resurrection. We're called to respond to Jesus' resurrection, to our union with Christ, in a very particular way in this text. And I'll sum it up this way. We're called to live as one who is truly alive. We're called to live as one who is truly alive. Verse 11, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And then again in verse 13, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So our response to the resurrection is to live a resurrection life. It's to live resurrected. No longer in the stench of death or the slavery and the condemnation of death, but in the newness of life. This life that has been obtained for us through Jesus' own death and resurrection. We've talked about this some before in this series. I think it's worth 
talking about again as we close the series out today. It's tragic how we can come to think about sin. Even and maybe especially within the church. Do you ever hesitate to call sin, sin? Do you ever hesitate to call sin, sin? Uh, Do you ever hesitate or in conversations, do you ever feel like you have to apologize for thinking that something is wrong according to the teachings of Scripture? I do. I know I do at times. I know at times I hesitate to call something sinful. I hesitate to point out that something is wrong according to the teachings of Scripture. And it's like when I do that or maybe when you do that, it's like we've bought wholesale into this myth that it's actually better, that it's actually more fun, that it's more enjoyable to pursue the kinds of things that Jesus himself associates with death than what he calls life. Now, I freely admit there there are many pastors and Christians in churches who turn Christianity into moralism or legalism, just long lists of rules and regulations, long lists of do's and don'ts. And that is reductionistic. That's actually completely backward when we think about the Christian faith. If we celebrate anything today, it's that the Christian faith is founded not on what you and I do, but on what Jesus has done and what you and I could never have done. But beyond that, beyond that moralism or legalism, Christians also are notoriously self-righteous. And maybe some of you who have been away from the church for many years but are back today with family or friends, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe that's even what sent you away from the church. We're notoriously self-righteous. We do exactly what Jesus warned us not to. And we observe those specks, those splinters in the eyes of others while ignoring the log, the plank in our own. And so it's so critical that we remember always our own need for God's mercy. We remember our own sinfulness in any conversations like these. But given those qualifiers, how often do you find yourself wanting to apologize for saying that something is wrong or wanting to apologize for calling sin, sin? The only reason that we ever feel the need to apologize is if deep down we remain unconvinced that sin is death. The only reason we feel into apologies is if deep down we remain unconvinced that sin is death. This still exists in me to some degree. In high school, this was me to a T. I was a Christian uh, in high school, maybe like some of you, but my faith at that time was a lot more about avoiding death. It was a lot more about earning favor from God than it was about living in a, an abundant and joy-filled life, the kind that's described by Jesus. And so I carried around with me in high school this very crazy and and conflicted view where I would simultaneously be self-righteous and envious. So I would perceive and, and, and see other students and friends that were into alcohol and drugs and sex and all the kinds of things that Christians aren't supposed to do, right? The morality of Christianity. I saw all those things and I was self-righteous toward them. But at the same time, I envied them. I was jealous of them. Why? Because their lives looked like more fun than mine. Because they looked like they were living it up. They looked like they were enjoying life, and my life felt repressed by comparison. Why did I think that? Because at that point in my life, I was unconvinced that sin is death. I was unconvinced that following the way of Jesus, that actually considering myself dead to sin and alive to God, is actually the abundant, good, and satisfying life. So if sin is really death, if we really believe that, then we should never take an apologetic posture in saying so. right? We should be empathetic 
toward others. We should be compassionate toward others. Actually, we should be even more empathetic and even more compassionate because we know personally and acutely the real appeal that sin has. It's just that now being united with Jesus in his death and resurrection, we see through the myth. We see through the myth, and now we want other people to experience with life where they have only known death. So be empathetic and be compassionate toward others in any kinds of discussions like this, but don't be apologetic. You need not be apologetic. You cannot and must not be apologetic to expose death to be death and to point to real life that's found in Jesus. About 15 years ago, in the early 2000s, uh, HBO put together the miniseries called Band of Brothers. Uh, Many of you have perhaps seen that. In Band of Brothers, there's a scene where a young soldier is traumatized as he experiences combat. It's his first, or one of his first few times in combat. He's traumatized, and he spends this entire battle just kind of crouched up in a foxhole. After the battle is over, his lieutenant, a man named Ronald Spears, walks up to him and says this. He said, The only hope that you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. It's not a perfect metaphor. It breaks down somewhere, but there's a very similar statement in this text when Paul says, when Paul calls us to accept the fact that we're already dead. Consider yourselves dead to sin. And what he's saying there is, don't try to keep that old self, that old part of you, alive. Don't keep your toe in the water. Don't keep your foot in the door. Don't try to preserve some little piece, some little vestige of that old way of thinking, that old way of speaking or 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 behaving. The only thing that will allow you and I to function as a follower of Jesus is supposed to function is to accept the death of our old self and to step into something so much more satisfying in this newness of life accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus. So I'd put it to you this way. The remedy to death is not escape. The remedy to death is to die so that you might actually experience real life in Jesus. There is is no escape from death. That's That's a cheap way to look at what Jesus accomplishes for us. Don't look to escape death. Look to die to death itself so that you might experience real life. Paul says it in another letter like this. I have been crucified with Christ And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So crucified to sin, resurrected to God. This is what it means to live as one who is truly alive. And I invite you this Easter to think about all of the different ways that you can step into this experience of life. So maybe you've never heard anything like this before. Maybe Christianity for you has always felt like rules and repression and just a a moral code of some kind. Or maybe you've been a Christian for years, but you felt in recent years like you've just been slugging it out. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of joy in your life, and there are going to be times in all of our lives where that's true. But my hope for you this morning is that you would be renewed with the vision of the real life that is yours, the opportunity of real life that is yours in Jesus. When you work, when we work, we have the opportunity to labor as those whose work is caught up into the eternal redemptive work of God. 
right? We no longer have to work just to pay bills and make money or to create some kind of meaning and purpose for our lives. We get to work to image God, to become co-creators and cultivators of what God has made, and our work gets caught up into his. When you rest, you rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You no longer live this frantic kind of life uh, striving for, to create meaning or fearing death and just trying to prolong your life by your diet and exercise plan or whatever other way you might try to prolong your life. You can take a day off, you can close your eyes at night, and you can rest as only one can who has found that deep, soul-level rest and satisfaction in Jesus. When you speak to another person, any other person you come across, the resurrection of Jesus, this life changes your paradigm completely. You're speaking to an image bearer of God, one for whom Christ also holds out this offer of life. You speak to someone who will himself or herself experience their own resurrection. You speak to someone who themselves is an eternal being like you are. And in that, you long for him or her to be free of this cultural myth that that calls death life and calls life death. When you seek the good of your neighborhood or you seek the good of this city or this region, when you show mercy and justice to those in need and those who are oppressed, you become now not just people with a cause trying to work really hard to do good, you become agents of God reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. The resurrection is the basis for all of our acts of mercy and justice because in it, the glorious future of God's kingdom can be tasted here and now. This is exactly why, as a church, we don't just want to celebrate the resurrection with our singing and with our worship services. As much as we do want to do that, as much as that's central to our worship, we also want to worship with our hands. And we want to serve people in celebration of Jesus' resurrection. When you're on top of the world, right, when you're enjoying the good blessings of God, and you're overwhelmed by God's goodness, the resurrection of Jesus says, you know what, this isn't even as good as it gets. The blessings you get to taste now in this life, they are but a foretaste of what is to come. When you're tempted, you see the risen Jesus who made an end of all of your sin, and you see, as Paul says here in this text, that you don't have to live in that sin any longer. It no longer has dominion over you. And the appeal and the fleeting pleasure that's brought about by moments of indulging in sin, whatever that sin might be for you, pride or pornography or gossip or greed, all of that begins to fade in light of the eternal joy, the life that is found in the resurrected Jesus. When you suffer, you suffer knowing that Jesus' resurrection means that the suffering of his people is temporary. And not only is it temporary, but meaningful. Paul says his own sufferings, he he calls them light and momentary afflictions, which will culminate in a glory that far outweighs them all. And if you're familiar with any of Paul's life or Paul's story, that sounds like a terribly misguided description of his life. He goes through some incredibly hard and painful things. But he says with confidence those things are light and momentary because of his own confidence in the resurrection. When you're weary, when you're weary from the difficulty of this life, the resurrection of Jesus says that your labor, your time, your days here in this life are never in vain. And they are always being used by God to bring about his purposes. And maybe you'll get to see that and maybe you won't. And maybe it'll be things that you get to rejoice in in your own life or maybe it's going to happen to someone that you know or that you don't know. 
but you have confidence that, that your life and the, the weariness and those times when you're just dragging it out, that that's being used by God and is fitting into God's story and God's plan. When you come to the moment of your death, the resurrection says you get to call that gain because that's not the end of the story. But for all the remaining days that you live, the resurrection says you get to call that Christ. You get to experience your union with Christ for that many more days in this life and his resurrection power and his grace working in you and working through you. And so whether you live or whether you die, the resurrection says that you and I cannot lose because we've already died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. So we have new life now, and we have new life for eternity. Friends, this Easter, may we never be content to simply avoid death. Right? How different a paradigm is it to think about the life that is ours, all these things that I've mentioned, and we could mention a hundred more, to think about the Christian faith this way and not as a list of obligation, rules, and regulations. What if we thought of the Christian faith as an opportunity to display what real life looks like to the world? Right? You and I, united with Christ in his own death and resurrection, get to display what real life looks like to the world. We get to experience a life of freedom and joy before God. We get to grow with deep love and affection for other people because of the way we ourselves have been loved. And we get to serve the genuine good of the world. That is what it means to live in a way that is truly alive. That is what it means to be dead to sin and alive to God. So live as those who have been, as Paul says, brought from death to life. Not using your bodies and your minds and your time and your energy in ways that still reek of death. Right? Live out the, this aroma of the abundant life, the joy that is possible in Jesus. And I would say to you, and you probably already are feeling this, to live this way will require trust. It will require faith. It will require trust and faith that you and I don't always know intuitively what is best for us. That we can't just feel it out or intuit what we really need. And so instead, we really trust Jesus and all that he has revealed to be the fullest experience of life this side of heaven. When you come face-to-face -face with meaninglessness, that question that Leo Tolstoy came face-to-face -face with, remember this. In Christ, you are not merely saved from death. You are saved to life. You are saved to a life of purpose, to a life of communion with the God who made you, to a life that is shaped by the very life of Jesus himself. And how incomplete, how cruel even it would have been for God to rescue us from death if he weren't going to also show us how to live. But truly he has done both. By his own death, he has brought us out of our spiritual death. And by his resurrection, he has raised us to new life. Glory be to the one risen son of God. May you find your real life in him. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we are often content to, es to escape death. Uh, we just want to avoid punishment. We just want to avoid separation from you. And we neglect to see, Jesus, that you said that actually life 
abundant, life to the full is found united with you. And so I pray we would see that, that the resurrection reality of our union with Christ tells us that we have a life to live, an opportunity to live abundant and full and joy-filled life. Help us pierce through the hardness of our minds and hearts where we have bought into the lie that things that you call death are actually what it means to live. And help us instead to see what it really is to, to live is to follow you and to present ourselves to you with all these opportunities to, to bless and serve others and to live our lives in ways that honor and glorify you and the work you have done. We know that we need you, Jesus. We need your spirit to empower that work in us. And we pray today as we celebrate your resurrection that as we go from this place, as our lives continue for the days and weeks and months and years to come, that we would live as those who are truly alive. That we would live resurrected, with, resurrected lives because our lives are hidden with you who, are, who is raised and seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Help us to come now to remember and celebrate, but also to participate in this union with you as we come to this table. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.